0: One of the biggest struggles I've had since uh, I began to preach and still have no idea what I'm doing, and the biggest thing was not being nervous about talking in front of people. That was never something that, I want to say never, For the, in, the, in the recent past, it's not been something that freaks me out. <laughs> Brenna laughs. Currently, that's not something that worries me, but it's the, it's the fact that the Bible is so rich in truth. So, so full of truth, and it's so hard each week to go through and say, what is God wanting to say to CRC? What is God wanting to say to this church right now in a text that is just so rich and in, in truth? And it's a struggle of trying to discern that, trying to say, "Like, what God, what are you wanting to say this week? What? Because we've, Tanner and I each, I think, have gone, since we've been at Matthew, have done a Sunday morning on one verse. And then some weeks there's 25, 50 verses. I mean, it really varies week to week, and it's like, God, what are you trying to say? And I wrestled with that more this week than I think I ever have, just laying it all out. So I just hope that, I trust that God has the exact word needed this morning, and on a passage that I think is really just full of truth. At the end of last week, we talked. About, or last week, we talked about the parable of the sower, that God. We talked the four different kinds of soils, and only one of them in the end produced fruit. How there was others that seemingly were good for a time, but then ultimately the gospel had not taken root in their lives. How these people, some people, are unable to understand that they, or they, they think they get it for a time, and then it realizes that although they understood it in their head, they. Their hearts were never changed. And we said that that when fruit is produced, when spiritual fruit is produced, that it's only through the working of God. That's not something that we produce. It's not something we muster up, but it's God through the process of sanctification, through this process of becoming more and more like Jesus. And we said that's only a work of God. That's not something that we do. And we talked about what the soil, soil was last week. We talked about what the gospel, what the seed was. And I don't want us to hold that same exact thing this week. Because we're still talking about soil. We're we're still talking about a parable. But don't hold the same examples. Because I think that's something that I was reading through various people's um, interpretation of this. And some people say, well, the soil last week was people. So the soil this week has to be people. And that gets really confusing if you try to do that. So we're going to reset a little bit. I totally forgot to say where we were. We're in Matthew 13, starting in verse 24. We're going to go all the way to 43 eventually. Um, I'm going to go ahead and read 24 through 30. It should be up on the screen, I hope. Matthew 13, 24. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the harvest I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned. But gather the wheat into my barn. So so as I was doing researching, like really looking into this this week and trying to study not just this passage, but um, other passages that are very similar. That's all. That this wheat for the for the Jews hearing this, they would have immediately known the type of weed that Jesus was referring to. That there was this type of weed that would grow up with wheat and look identical until it actually budded. Until right before the harvest, it would bud, but the bud on the weed would be would actually mold and become poisonous. That would become basically, it could ruin the entire harvest if it was all mixed together at the end. And. I was like, oh, that's good to know. And by the, by the Greek word used there, you, can, you hear that. You, they would have got that. But there's a very specific weed that's being mentioned. And I think that's going to be very important as we go. This week, I, really, I, I was debating about what, how, what order, because he, he, he tells this parable, then he tells two more very short parables, and then he goes back and explains the first one. So I'm going to go ahead and just read the rest of this passage. Um, instead of trying to um, go through this one and then go out of order, I'm just going to go ahead and read it through and then we'll kind of come back. Go on to verse 31. It says, He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour, till it was all leavened. All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. Then he left the crowds and went into the house. And his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed is the son of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The son of man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. I wish this is how it worked with the rest of the Bible, that it was like, okay, this means this, this means this, this means this, especially in Revelation and some areas, but unfortunately we don't get this everywhere. But I think that not only is Jesus, and I'm going to kind of lump these three parables into one. Um, to Each individual, but, but with kind of one great, greater, bigger purpose or um, meaning. I think not only is he saying, talking about hidden, false things in the world, but he's giving a teaching about what is, how is the church, how are the, the good seed, how are we to interact with the world? Because I think there's three very distinct things that we see. That there are people... The good seeds that are, that are the kingdom of heaven. Sons of God. The, there are these kind of people. There are people, the bad seeds, that it says are sons of the evil one. And that these two kinds of people exist and together with one another until the end. We see that here. You say, At the end, I'm going to separate them. But until then, you're you're, you're together. And the scary part of this is that he says that based on the parable, he says you can't really tell a difference until the end. Often these these types of people look very similar until the end. And that's scary. Because there's some people that make it very clear who they're following in this world. There's some people that, like we said last week, the fruit exudes from them. We see that man, the way they respond. You, you see the fruit of the Spirit in them. You, know, you have no doubt about their salvation. And there are some people that are very much the other way, that are very much, you see that they're in love with the world, the way that they live, the way that you, where you see their passions. But then there's these people that we'll see going through that look very much like good people. There's people that, Although they says they're sons of the evil one, it's hard to distinguish them until the end, and I think that's the the difficult part. Something that I don't think that the church that we're very sometimes informed about is Satan, the devil, because although we, we most of us have some sort of image of who Satan is, it's usually more informed by a movie or by TV shows or by something than it is actually by the Bible. And Jesus very clearly says that it is the devil that that plants these these seeds, the bad seeds that grow up with the good seeds, that it's very much his working that does that. And so I I was reading a little bit this week about what are some characteristics of the devil? How does he do this? And I'm going to fly through these pretty quickly. The verses are up here. Um, I hate like if I, if I do fly through things and you don't know where they actually came from. Um, but the Bible says that Satan is crafty. There. <laughs> the Satan is crafty. Like it says this, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast. John 10.10 says that Satan only comes to steal, kill, and destroy Ephesians 1, 2, I'm going to read 1, 2, 1 through 3. It says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now in the work at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind we see that Satan actually rules those outside of God's protection. Luke 4:13 says that Satan seeks an opportunity to tempt us. Luke 4:13 Looks like I totally forgot to put this one in there. So after tempting Jesus, it says and when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. So he still seeks opportunities to tempt us. 2 Corinthians 4, we read these verses last week, but it says that Satan tries to hide the truth about God. It says that even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world, that being Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. You see that Satan makes counterfeit promises. He tells Eve, you will not die. That God just doesn't want you to become like him. Sorry, I guess I didn't actually read that. It's there. He makes counterfeit promises. He makes promises that, that are not true. And I think knowing this, this truth about who Satan is, as described in the Bible, is really important because he's actively at work in the world. And Jesus doesn't hide that fact. He says that Satan is doing this. Satan is planting these people. And he says that they're planted right alongside of the good seed, the, the people, the sons of the kingdom. And this is difficult. I did a lot of research this week about Who he's talking about, because there's a lot of disagreement among scholars, among teachers and preachers and pastors and all these people about what is Jesus talking about? Is he he talking about the church? Is he preaching about the church? There's sound coming through. Just saying. There's like waves in the speaker. There we go. But some people say it's just within the... He's talking about the church. He's talking about the church. And in the church, there's believers, and then there's these false believers that are actually just false teachers. And then other people say that, no, he's talking about the world. He's talking about something bigger than just the church. He's talking about the world in general. And there's a lot of disagreement. I was just reading back and forth and both making good points, and it was just like, what in the world? But then, you look at Verse 38. He says, the field, this is Jesus explaining the parable, he says, the field is the world. And as I read that, I'm like, I don't know why people are arguing about this. What? Like, he says, the field is the world, not the field is my church. He says, the field is the world. But I also think that the world includes the church. That hopefully the, the, the church is a part of the world. And so I want us to kind of hear this from, from both angles. Because I think the danger is if we say that he's not talking about the church, I think that Paul is actually very clear that to, he warns against false teachers time and time and time again. 2 Corinthians eleven thirteen 13-15 says, he's referring to these false teachers, says, but for such men are false apostles. This is Paul um, talking. Deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. So he says, he's talking about the church as well, that there are people in the church who are seeking to fight against the church. They're these false apostles. And and judging by the characteristics we read of who Satan is, it, it seems to make sense. He seeks to tempt. He seeks to blind the mind of people to see the real gospel. He's crafty. He fights from the inside. But he's talking about the world as well. And judging by these three parables, it's so clear that Jesus is talking about so much more than just the battles we see between people. It's so much deeper than that. It's so much deeper than that. And I'm kind of all over the place, but Ephesians 6.12 says, But we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. There's so much more than just the physical world. There's so much more than just these people that we think they're out to get us. And although we're planted side by side, non-believers living right next to believers, it's so much more than just that. I'm going to read the 31 through 33, the, muster, the parable of the mustard seed and the parable of the leaven. And there's a lot more that could be said about these two parables. I could, could have spent a week on each one. We're going to go through um, a little bit. Verse 31 says, He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is larger than all the garden plants It becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. Jesus compares the, the kingdom of heaven to a mustard seed, this very insignificant little seed. And again, we've, we've mentioned that this is not at all the kind of a comparison that the, these Jews were hoping for. They were kind of aimed at this whole big come on the scene, this king that was going to take over and rule and, and be this big governing king. And then Jesus is saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. Very, very small. Insignificant, as, as a lot of people would have thought. But then it grows into something much bigger. There's so much that could be said here. But you see that God is using something insignificant. He's comparing the kingdom of heaven to something insignificant, but that that grows, and that he's going to use for his glory. And I think that's, that's what you see, is he's using something that does not have a lot of power in itself, but just as God causes the mustard seed to grow, so he uses the church in the same ways. In the in the whole kingdom of heaven. We're gonna come back to this, but again with the, par- the parable of the leaven. He says like the, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. Leaven is not something that we think about very often, but it was used to to cause bread to rise was mixed with flour and actually caused the bread to rise, and I don't know much about leaven and baking and all that kind of stuff, but it's not something you... You see, you mix it, but then you don't necessarily see it working, but you see the effects of it working. And again, the, the, the kingdom of heaven, the, the way that God has designed it is not some thing that comes on the scene. You don't see the, the church saying, hey, look at me, look at me, look what I'm doing. But hopefully you're seeing the effects of individual people, of individual Christians, of people that God has said, I'm changing your heart and this is how you're going to interact with the world. And I think that you see that this is because if you think of leaven and how it basically contaminates the entire flower to cause it to rise, you see that That's how the church is, although small, although hopefully not big and flashy, but it's having deep impact among people because it's infiltrating the world. So just a couple things. You see that the church, if God is sovereign, which he is, and if God is in control, then this this fact that there is Believers and unbelievers, there's, it says there's children of the kingdom and children of the evil one, and growing up side by side, then this is part of God's plan. Because he could easily, just, just like he did with the flood, he could easily just wipe out, start over, and not have both kinds of people. But there are. But there's two kinds of people. There's not three. There's no in-between. There's no neutral. We say this time and time again. You're one or the other. You're a child of God because God has drawn you into his family or you're not. And these two types of people are living side by side in the world and even within the church. I don't want to ever say that Turn this into like it turns into our job to be able to go and say look through look through our church or look through our neighborhood or whatever and say okay they're in they're out they're in they're out like that's not our job. Jesus says here that that's at the end when he comes back he said then then I'm going to separate. But that's that's not our job. And I keep saying this but we exist side by side with the world. That we, although called to be different, called to, and we're called and changed by God, we're still in the world. We're still side by side. Same jobs, same classrooms, same streets, same restaurants, same parks. Could go on and on. Sometimes even the same churches. And I want us to summarize. What, what Jesus is saying is that there comes a time when I will separate. It's okay now. He, Jesus wasn't surprised. If you read the parable, they said, the, the, the servants come and say, there's weeds growing. And he says, an enemy did this. That's how I read it, at least. He's not surprised. And they're all, the servants are like, well, shouldn't we go fix this? And he says, no. It'll, I've got this. I'm going I'm to work this out in the end when I call my people to myself. And there, but there is a time when it's too late. There, there comes a time when he does come back, when he does separate. It says the wheat and the weeds, the sons of the kingdom, the sons of the evil one. There comes a time when he does come back and, and do that. But the, his church, this, this kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, as he says, Although small, although it started 11 people, 11 guys, the way we've seen it infiltrate the world, there's I read something this week that showed a map of, although starting with 11 men on the other side of the world, seeing a map of where all it has spread since then is amazing. It's crazy to think that, that God used these 11 guys and has multiplied the gospel, has multiplied... The disciples that are bearing the gospel, that are going around preaching, there's no way that was based on 11 guys, but on God causing something very insignificant and being 11 guys who we read through the Bible had a lot of issues, but he used them to infiltrate the world. But that's God, that's not us. And he's saying like, okay, so, so, so we see this. We see that there's two kinds of people. We, and we see that we live side by side going through this. And so the church is nothing big and special in itself other than God working through it. But, but what does that mean? Okay, so we, we see this. We see that Satan is at work. That Satan is fighting against the church. That there are false teachers. There are people that are trying to infiltrate the church. But, but what does that mean? I think the way you see is that, the God is not worried. God is not concerned. God says, "I'm going to be glorified through this process," and that at the end is when He's going to separate because He knows what the, how that's all going to work. But the biggest thing that I keep coming back to, is just that it's a weird word, but that in- infiltrating because that's how the leaven works. It kind of it, it spreads. It permeates through the entire dough and causes the bread to rise. But I think the church, I'm not talking just specifically this church, but the church, global church, has gotten this wrong a lot. Because instead of infiltrating, instead of permeating through the world, the church has pulled back and said, we're not really a part of that because there's sin in the world. Going back to I mean, reading about monasteries and monks. Their whole reason was because they didn't want to be part of the sin in the world. So they wanted to retreat in the monasteries and and spend time focusing on God, focusing on time in the Word, focusing on prayer, and not getting close to the sin of the world that's all around them. But what you see in the parables, he told the farmer told his servants not to go pull out the weeds. Because then the, 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 the wheat would also be pulled up. And that's because the roots are so deep. The roots are so tangled up at that point that there's no dividing them. Because the roots are so tangled. So I was just asking myself this week, what, so what does that mean? So you've got non-believers and believers that are so tangled up. What does that mean? It means that the church has relationships outside of the church that the, the church people in the church are connected to people outside the church not necessarily connected with their sin but we're connected there's there's relationships there and i think the church the big big church is so has in the past and is still in a Jane dangerous place of guarding themselves so much from sinners that we distance ourselves from the world And I, again, this, is, this applies a ton of different ways. And I think this means different things to different people. But I want to give kind of an absurd example. And I, I know it's like exaggerating a little bit. But, but hear me out. For the sake of abstaining from sin, for the sake of not wanting to sin... The church. We want to make sure we're at the church all day on Sunday because we want to make sure we're doing what we're supposed to be doing. We have our community group on Monday nights where we come and we talk about the sermon. We talk about the, the things that God is doing in our church. Tuesday night, we get together for prayer meeting to make sure we're praying for the sinners in the world. Wednesday nights, we have Bible study. Thursday nights, there's a women's meeting at the church. The women come and gather and pray. Friday night is a youth lock-in, of course, so where the church can bring their kids and stay in the church so they're not out doing the shenanigans of everyone. all the other kids out in the public. Saturday night's family day, so we come and we spend time as a family. And you, what you do is we've made this, you make this Christian bubble where you don't even know a non-believer. You know, you know who they are, but you have zero relationships with people outside the church. For the sake of trying to stay away from sin, which, yes, I'm not saying that we don't abstain from sin, that we don't remove ourselves from a sin. But I think it's so tempting to, to remove ourselves too far. Because we tell people, okay, go share the gospel, go share the gospel, go make disciples, and we know this. But then we say, who? I don't, I don't, I'm not friends with anyone. Like We said that in my evangelism class that I took, time and time again, they showed that in the 40s and the 50s, people... We're okay, you can knock on doors, and there's a lot of door-to-door evangelism. You go and say, "Hey, I've got a good story to tell you. I've got the gospel. Can I tell you?" And they say, "Okay, let's talk." But now, and just the way that the culture is, the way that the world is, people don't want that. You knock on their door, and they say no. But they want what they want is a relationship. They want you to know that you—they want to know that you care about them enough and want their best before they want to know what you believe or this this gospel that you have to talk about. But then we don't have relationships with unbelievers because we've so set ourselves up to be abstained from sin, abstained from the world, to be so far set apart that we're not not integrated, we're not in the world with, with unbelievers for friends with people outside the church for deep relationships, we're not seeking that out because their lives are different than ours. And don't hear me that I'm saying that abstaining from sin is wrong, or that we're, so, that we're not supposed to distance ourselves from the sin, because like, we absolutely are. And that as Christians, as people that, are, that have been changed, our external actions and our desires and our passions are going to look very different from people in the world, people that have not been changed by the gospel, yes, it's going to look different. But that doesn't mean we don't seek out relationships with unbelievers. Because that... How do we share the gospel with people if we don't know people? Because we're no different than the people in the world. The only thing that's different is that the gospel has changed the lives of believers. That's the only difference. I said that last week. But that's an internal change. That's not an external change. We're not different from the world just because, oh, we don't get drunk, we don't do drugs, we we aren't involved in this or that. That's not why we're different. We're different because God has changed our hearts. And often the external actions, we're not going to want those things, but that's not what makes us different. Jesus is talking about there's a time coming when he's going to come and separate. There's a time, there's time coming when you're in or you're out. There's no in between. And as we have relationships with unbelievers, this is what we we're talking about, the gospel, because the gospel is the only thing that brings people in. We said that God brings us into his family. And that's what the gospel does. That's not what we do. That's what the gospel does. We keep saying this in Matthew time and time and time again. and You're probably getting tired of us hearing it, but I hope you're not. But that God is after your heart. That God wants your heart. He doesn't want your physical actions to change. They're going to change when he changes your heart. But he's not just saying, you need to change this and this and this and this and this. And I think it's really easy to get in that mindset. But as he changes your heart, this and this and this and this are going to change. But what we're telling the world is the gospel. Not saying, hey, look, I don't do this. Hey, I don't do that. Hey, I... We don't abstain so far from we can't even have a relationship with these people. Because that's not a gospel. That's not a church that's permeating the world. Infiltrating the world. being The roots being built together. And I'm usually not quite this, like, Direct, And this is not a rhetorical question. I'm not saying answer this out loud. But like, are you in or are you out? That's a question that you have to answer. I can't answer it for you. We can't answer it for you. That's a question that you have to answer. Sorry, they're dancing in the nursery. Um, Sorry. That's something that we cannot answer for you. That's something that you have to decide. That something that God has to show you. But are you in or are you out? Are, have you been changed by the gospel? Or have you not? And that, that has to be our prayer. That if we're sons of the kingdom, if God has opened our eyes to see the truth, if the gospel is something we say, yes, this is what has changed my life, then how are we being salt? How are we being light? How are we taking the gospel? How are we taking the good news to people that have no hope? that ha- They don't know the gospel. They have not been changed by the gospel. Do we even have relationships with those people? Are we so worried about being holy? Being set apart? Or is that our chief concern so much so that we're not engaging the world? So I challenge you just to think about that. How, how are you building relationships with people who maybe are not just like you. Maybe don't go to this church. Maybe don't act the same way you do. Maybe they've got some apparent sin in their lives, but you're afraid to be involved with them because you're, they need the gospel. That is what changes people. We can't separate ourselves so far that we're not in the world. I don't think many people would identify and say, yes, I'm a son of the evil one. I'm a good person. I don't quite don't know if I'm all on board with this gospel thing, with this sold-out lifestyle, but I wouldn't identify with being a son of the evil one. That's what Jesus says. He says, if if you're not all in, if you're not a son of the kingdom, if you're not on board with me, then you're a son of the evil one. That's hard to say, it's hard to read. That's what Jesus is saying. And what, he start, and what he says at the end, he says, The Son of Man will send his angels, and he will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That is the reality the people that are sons of the evil one. If you're saying, that I'm not all in for this gospel thing, there's a lot of things in there that I don't like and I don't understand, I don't really want that. If that's where you're at, then he's saying that this is the path you're on. This is, when, this, when you're separated, when Jesus comes back and does the separating, that is the reality, that is the truth. But there's no middle ground. You don't, you don't stand in the middle. You're either on that path, or, the, or it says you're the, the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. If we've been changed by the gospel, that we get to shine like God. It says that we will be with him forever. There's nothing more important than being changed by the gospel. And that's, that's a work that only God does. It's the only work that God can do. I just pray that no matter where you're at, if you're all in on this thing, but you don't know how to interact with the world. Let that be your prayer. Let, ask God to show you how to best be salt and light. How, how can you best take the gospel to unbelievers? How can you build relationships that start from the basics of friendship with unbelievers? Ask God to show you how to do that. Who are the believers in your, unbelievers in your life that maybe you need to go spend more time with? for the purpose of sharing the gospel. But if this is something that you say, I I don't really believe that, it's not a scare tactic. I don't don't think Jesus is saying, I'm going to scare you with this, but it's a reality that says, if you do not, if you're not changed by the gospel, this is something that you don't want, then you're on the path that leads to, it It says, the, the fiery furnace. You're Hell. Just pray that that God would cause you to want him more than anything else. And that that the gospel, we went through this last week, and I hope that we continually talk about the gospel. But this gospel that Jesus came, he died, because we're so sinful that we could not do that. We couldn't die for our own sin. But that Jesus' perfect death is what saved us. That we deserve to die Eter- and then eternally be separated. But it's not, we couldn't save ourselves that Jesus did. Let's pray that that's where our faith be, and that's where we would have the heart to tell people that same thing. Let's pray.